there's cool little joints popping up everywhere in Sydney now. It's amazing. It's, it's a breath of fresh air. I've been able to find a good taco a lot easier than it's ever been. <laughs> and been able to supply that as well. Yeah, been able to share what we love with the public is, yeah, we're just grateful, super grateful. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've delved into all manner of cuisines on Deep in the Weeds, from those diving deep into their heritage to techniques and craft learnt, or shedding new light on cultural and culinary nuances. But we haven't delved much into Ibero-American, but today's guest is a leading light of this down under. Amber Doig is the head chef of The Butler in Sydney. Amber, how are you? Hello, very well, thank you. It's good to have you on the show. Um, you've been making a bit of a name for yourself doing a cuisine that we don't see much of um, or an expression of in, in Australia. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Uh, well, it's kind of, you know, it's relatively new for me as well. Like I've been um, cooking for 20 years, I'd say now, you know, since I first started my apprenticeship um, and cooked a, you know, a broad range of cuisines and things like that. But um, yeah, my new kind of, a food epiphany I had, you know, probably maybe seven or eight years ago was when I visited America and got to try some more uh, broad Central American cuisine, um, namely uh, a lot of Mexican, but yeah, a lot of, um, yeah, different things from like proper ceviche from Peru and stuff like that. Even though I did try this in America, it was yeah, meeting and working with these people as well, you know, gave me... Um, I just wanted to know more. I wanted to know what was going on, you know, all these new flavours and things like that. Yeah. Well, what's it been like translating that uh, in the position you're in at the moment? Do you, do you have some dishes you can tell us about that sort of speak of, of what you're doing? Um, uh, I suppose uh, bring it here. Like you don't want to um, scare your guests or alienate them at all. It will make them feel like they – they, they don't know, you know, um, the ingredients they're eating. So um, I've kind of just related it. I find the broadness that there's a there's connections between whether it be us being over here on, on the south side of the world or in America, there are things that tie us and connections that we can make to make things seem more familiar. So one of our kind of big um, popular dishes that is the the piece de la resistance to our banquet menu and our groups um, you know always eat is the lamb barbacoa which is um yeah a version that I've tried to adapt in a kitchen environment um, the traditional um, version of this is a very long painstaking process um, which is used um, cooked in a in the grounds you know wrapped in um, agave and banana leaves and with avocado leaves and complex takes 12 hours you know people are it, it takes a whole weekend you know <laughs> to get this sorted uh, we can't really I can't dig a hole in pots point and uh, you know in our terrace I don't think um, my bosses would appreciate that too much so um yeah we I do a slow cook version of that you know translated to as good as good as we can do it in a culinary um, setting in a restaurant in Sydney, anyway. That well, that's what I feel, and yeah, people love it. So it's it's our kind of bread and butter on the on the menu, and has been for a few years now. So, yeah. How would you describe the flavours of it? Tell, tell us a bit about the eating experience of this dish that is such a champion on the menu. Um, I think the the whole low and slow thing is something we can all relate to. Um, you know, from our whether it be our grandmother's roast or 
you know, cooked overnight or cooked for a super long time on a Sunday and then when you open the foil on top of the lid, you go, you get all those smells of, you know, of time and care. And I think, you know, I th- I, that's what I feel the, the lamb barbacoa does, it does to me anyway, even after all this time, I still, like, I love it when we have a good lamb day, you know. As soon as I open that, open that oven first thing in the morning after it's been in there for 12 to 14 hours, you know, it's a beautiful thing. So, but it's a pretty s- simple dish at its core, even though the cooking um, time, like, its or- original technique is quite complex. Like, the lamb's just, um, we make an adobo. Um, mine is a Mexican-style adobo. I use a, a few different um, chilies and cider vinegar, loads of roast garlic, um, coriander seeds, black peppercorns, you know, just the kind of simple aromatics. Um, yeah, they're toasted, lovely, and soaked, and then blended, you know, to a pulp. And the lamb, we just sear off beautiful lamb shoulders from down near the um, New South Wales-Victoria border and uh, rub them in a generous um, application of the adobo and then just um, top it up with a bit of stock and we um, line the baking trays with banana leaves as well, um, top and bottom, to give a little bit of, you know, a little bit of tannin flavour, a bit of authenticity as well. Well, I, I... it may not make a big difference, but to me it does because we are kind of hearkening to where it came from. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, I want to delve a bit more into what you are doing there at the Butler a bit later on, but you're originally from New Zealand. Tell us about where you grew up and the sort of role that food played in your family when you were young. Um, yeah. Uh, my mother originally, she was a chef when I was growing up in the in the 80s. Um, I grew up in Osatahi, which is uh, Christchurch in Canterbury, New Zealand. Um, yeah, um, grew up on the beach there in New Brighton, um, like uh, probably a third or fourth generation New Brighton kid from out there. My, my father's side, my great grandparents grew up there as well, immigrated in the late 1900s. Um, yeah, so it's a lot of beachside living, you know, pretty chill lifestyle. All my family liked to cook, my parents especially. Um, mum was, like I said, she was a chef and used to work in the, you know, restaurants back in the old days when I was trying to raise me as well <laughs> but my um, my dad was a carpenter but um he was a big fisherman um we used to go away on weekends fly fishing and or just on our local river just on the Avon River would catch herrings and eels and like I hated them when I was a kid but you know would always be cooking and yeah catching stuff and you know it was it was always a good time and also with um Christmas things, I suppose. My family's quite competitive, so every other year there'd be a pavlova competition or a freaking salad competition or whatever, and people would cheat and laugh, and, you know, it was always a really good time. Yeah, the year that one of my cousins bought a bought pavlova and my other cousin that, you know, stayed up all night trying to, you know, ruined about three or four meringues trying to get this thing on the table and the fight that ensued, you know, it's always a good laugh. So, yeah, I kind of had it inbred in me early, I suppose, you know. Well, well, tell, us, tell us a bit about the first steps into hospitality. What, what, when did the door open for you and what were those first few years like? Um, I... Finished high school in Christchurch in 2001. Um, 
And I knew I wanted to cook. I knew from probably the early, my early teens that it, that was something I enjoyed. It was something I enjoyed making other people happy through something you've made. Like, you know, I don't think it's, you know, a lot of people say it's an artistry and I say yes in some fashions, but um, that's not the way that I looked at it. But, um, yeah, the pleasure that I got from making other people happy through something I created through food, whether it be a, um, friends at school always talk about in home ec class I made this like black forest ghetto it was one of the first things you learn to make at high school you know everyone loved it so yeah ever since then I was like yeah this is cool so um, yeah I was I didn't really know how to find a path in Christchurch to do so which was unfortunate um, there's a you know Christchurch Polytechnic would um, that's where the cooking school was at the time um, but I ended up um, I've got family here in Sydney and one of my aunties after the like post-Olympic boom here in Sydney just put it forward to me oh do you want to come and have a look over here and see how you go so yeah 17 years old I moved over here and stayed with my auntie and pursued um, a chef's apprenticeship over here what was it like moving to Sydney was it was it a shock compared to what you were used to I was, yeah, I think it was a culture shock to to a point. I had travelled a little bit in Australia when I was a child, but not as an adult. So it was it was new to me. Um, and Christchurch is, it, you know, it's a city, but it, it's small on grand scheme of things in comparison to Sydney. And yeah, coming here and witnessing the so many, it was like a melting pot of cultures and the space you know that's just f- filled with people when you could drive from the airport to when I went to visit family in Penrith and there was like no gaps in between I found that strange yeah you know I'm used to you in Christchurch you see the hills you see the ocean there's suburbs there's parks there's you know a lot of wide open spaces so that was quite yeah overwhelming at the time but I, I obviously still enjoyed it it's 20 something years later I'm still here so yeah yeah <laughs> Early on in your career in Australia, you worked um, with James Viles, one of Australia's most celebrated chefs. Did, do you have any stories of, of that time and what it was like to work with James? Uh, yeah, well, um, I returned to Sydney after my apprenticeship. Um, so, yeah, I was probably a, a demi-commie chef kind of level. Um, and after working with small businesses, I wanted to try something different. So I ended up um, working at the Intercontinental Hotel as a commie chef, but for their um, kind of it was a, a restaurant which they kind of marketed as a separate entity, which uh, a celebrated chef of the time kind of ran. And at the time it was called Mint Bar and Dining. And James Viles was my head chef. He was he was very young at the time as well. He was probably in his mid-20s if I was in my early. So, yeah, yeah we were super young. And it was just, yeah, mind-blowing to me. I only worked with him for maybe a year and a half or so there. But, yeah, it was just... It was amazing having someone meeting someone with a different perspective and all these ideas and yeah, all these goals and aspirations to work overseas and you know it was yeah it was a really I really enjoyed working with him at the time. In your time in Sydney in those early years, what were the really important sort of venues and and people that you worked with that influenced uh, your path? Um, uh, after the Intercontinental, where I worked with um, James Viles, I also worked with another chef there called Jeff Campbell, who was a, um, a Jamie Oliver alumni. So, yeah, I had a really great time working with him as well um, because, obviously, chef of my era, Jamie Oliver was 
the man, you know, <laughs> all the simplicity of his recipes and but how beautiful he made things look and simple, like that was, that was the way. So he still influences everyone today, so that's awesome. So, yeah, I really took what I could from working with Jeff and with James as well, so that was cool. Um, after that, I ended up back in my um, – through my network from where I started my apprenticeship, which is in Roselle, Belmain area, through a um, little cafe there, um, I ended up going moving back to Roselle and working for um, Vanessa and Rob Martin, who used to own Il Piave Restaurant in Darling Street there, who's a uh, yeah Venetian institution back in the early 2000s, um, chef's hats for years, you know. It was, it was amazing, and I worked with Vanessa for seven years in total, five years at um, Piave, and yeah, that was, honestly, that's, she's been a massive inspiration on my, um, on my career and on, on me as a whole, I believe, whether it be in regards to the creative, creativity and cooking, but simplicity at the same time, and um, working culture, putting the guests first, sometimes to your own detriment. You know, well, I don't mean the guests first, but putting other people first, sometimes putting yourself putting yourself on the back, you know, on the back burner as well. Like, yeah, Vanessa was the queen to me and she still is. So I'm very, very lucky. You spent a lot of time with Vanessa and the influence um, is obvious with what you were just saying. What, what, do you have any stories of what it was like working with her and, this, and the sort of food you were cooking? Uh, yeah, well, Il Piave was it was a great little venue, you know, um, back in Roselle. I think we sat about 65 people. It was quite small. The kitchen was tiny. If you ever went there, it was, I don't know, four by six metres, let's say, and it was right in the centre of a... Um, of a refurbed terrace house on Darling Street. So there's a small opening at the front, walk past the kitchen, hi, how are you? And then you could go out to the courtyard as well. Um, so we had this tiny little space and that's everything was made from scratch, whether it be desserts, like everything, pasta, all of it. So, yeah, it was a, we spent a lot of time together you know, bumping into each other in that tiny little kitchen at Piave. Um, but, yeah, definitely pasta, pasta, desserts and what I thought I knew about Italian cuisine you know well, I just well, I didn't really I was a bit ignorant to it but how regional and specific it is to where it's from Vanessa and Rob's um, ancestry was near Piave which is a river that runs through the north of Italy near Venice so um, yeah that was that name pays tribute to where their ancestors are from um, so it's more Venetian style cuisine, lighter sauces, um, tomato isn't used as heavily, um, but it's still there, um, like in comparison to like Napoli or Calabrian cuisine. Um, but yeah, the, the pasta was next level, like we'd slow cook duck ravioli with, um, with like jus and cracked pepper and things like that. It was like super simple, but these things you could, uh, Put on the menu and people will be coming back for them for years you know like it's hard to, it was hard to remove anything because people just loved it so much and yeah lasagna like we did a really good rabbit lasagna it was delicious with buckwheat pasta and uh squidding tortellone filled with lobster like decad super decadent rich sauces as well where and then you had the nice light um chicken and brodo like you know chicken ravioli and and um soup and like it was just yeah it's delicious and her desserts were pretty legendary as well like not you know not over the top or anything but just good well made like the best tiramisu i've had to date um uh, 
a really good panna cotta, really good meringues, sponges, you know, that type of stuff. So, yeah, I was super, so lucky to work with her. Well, I have very fond memories of that uh, rabbit lasagna for all these all those years ago. Uh, you, you were quite young as a chef then. What, what did you take from your time um, with Vanessa, sort of looking back, you know, being the chef that you are now? Um, yeah, I suppose looking back, I just saw just saw the the amount of like I suppose when I started working for her, I was about twenty five, twenty six, and you know I do as I would do as I was told. Not that it was ever that kind of chef's environment. It was very collaborative and, um, you know, I just copied her and did exactly, you know, what was expected. But yeah, after being, becoming more comfortable with her and working there for a few years, I ended up, you know, because her focus was always the guests, always in their experience and what they need. The amount of times we'd, you know, stay there till one in the morning making lasagnas to drop off to her friend's cafe that was selling outside or, or do you know what I mean? Like it's always above and beyond, you know, it was, yeah, it was amazing. But at the, at the same time she needed support. So I think, me helping support her so she could do all these other things made me probably the best sous chef I could have ever been, I think, because I I got to give to her what she was giving to everyone else, if you kind of get my sense, yeah. What triggered the move to, to New York City, which you spent quite a bit of time in? Oh, yeah, that was kind of – I did – I travelled there for uh, – at Il Piave, I was lucky that we closed for a month every year. Um, so Christmas time we closed after New Year, um, after Christmas Eve. So every year I had a time to do a good vacation somewhere or, you know, a proper, t- proper time off anyway. So my partner and I went to New York in 2011, I believe, uh, just for a first, uh, for a vacation. I'd never been to America before. Mind blowing, you know, it's amazing. Even if you haven't been there, everyone knows all about it. Um, I caught up with a friend of mine who I used to, used to know from the Roselle days as well. His name is Corey Lee, and he used to work at the cafe. I worked with um, with him as an apprentice, and he also used to float on the floor at El Piave every now and again. And then after his big OE, he ended up being in New York, and he worked as director of operations for Alex Stupak in uh, MP on Restaurant Group in New York. So I ended up catching up with him just for a casual dinner. And he was in the process of um, helping open this brand new restaurant and he took me out to a Mexican joint. Um, I was in Tribeca somewhere and, um, you know, explained about what he was doing. We had a great night, loads of tequila, loads of mezcal, loads of just uh, like delicious, fresh seafoody things on crispy tostadas and stuff that I've never tried in my life. You know, over here we, we think we know what Mexican cuisine is, but... You know, at that time, we definitely had no idea. We were still having Taco Tuesday night with Old El Paso, you know. And so, yeah, just trying those things for me was, you know, was a, was a big deal. And then over the years, I kind of felt the pull to do a bit more in that regard. I um, Vanessa and I actually went up doing a, um R&D trip to New York when they were looking at opening a Italian um uh, restaurant slash food hall type of thing that kind of harkens to Italy in New York. So we went over there. We caught up with Corey again, went out for dinner, amazing, delicious. And then it just kept kind of niggling in the back of my mind. So two years later, I just, I had this kind of epiphany, like if I was an old lady sitting on my 
balcony, you know, playing cards or something. What what would I need to what would I need to do to be content? And one of the things was definitely just being able to say that I'd tried working in New York, that I've been there, and you know, I could tick that off. So yeah, I just there was stars kind of aligned and yeah, I ended up reaching back out to Corey and asking if I could um um jump into his company and get some work experience over there and yeah, and then everything kind of happened quite quickly, getting visas and trying to sort it out and then three months later on um Independence Day I was in um, Independence Day 2015, I was in New York City. So, yeah, it was crazy. Tell us about some of the, the venues and, and things you learned while um, working with Alex uh, Stupak. Oh, yeah, like it was a whirlwind, like just a, a year and a half, you know, that I spent there. That was the restrictions of my visa, you know, so that's just all I can do. And I left my family and partner behind here in Sydney, you know, so I could go chase this thing. So, yeah, it was just amazing. I started off at um, MP on Tuckeria, which is was his flagship, his first restaurant at the time in the West Village. Um, so, yeah, the, my whole attempt was purely just for work experience and to learn recipes, new techniques, meet new people, that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I just jumped in as a line cook at, um, at Tuckeria, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was like, it's, you know, hospitality is the same around the world, but it was so different at the same time. So, yeah, just working with that amount of, like, New York is a big place, but it's a small place at the same time. There's millions of people there, busy all the time. That restaurant was so well established, you know. I know they might have had some teething problems in the first year, you know, when you open up to that kind of overwhelming response. But, yeah, they got there they got their thing down pat so yeah i've worked um tuckery was a good time just slinging a million tacos cool little delicious sides and um ceviche and raw dishes and then yeah it was just it was a, yeah it was amazing and um so i ended up they saw that i obviously wasn't just like some random line cook coming to work so i got promoted to sous chef quite quickly um and was sent to work at MP on Cucina, which was in the East Village, and it was his more experimental kind of restaurant. Um, it, uh, only sat 30 to 40 people, but they had a um, four-seater tasting table, which they did two seatings a night at, and it was um, it faced the kitchen, so we were on show, basically. And we also delivered the dishes that we made to the guests. So it was, it was like an 18 to 21 course menu. Like it was epic. It was, yeah, crazy actually. And yeah, it had wine, uh, not just wine, but yeah, um, beverage matches and everything like that. And we had some cool little, you know, local celebrities and stuff come and dine at that table as well. So yeah, and Alex was there present a lot to um to serve these people. So yeah, that was that was amazing because I'd you know, Piave was um fine dining to a point. Like, you know, it was casual but fine, you know, but this was like something I'd never ever done before, you know, we're doing and Alex isn't scared about blending things that people say you shouldn't blend or, you know, serving things some way you maybe shouldn't serve them. He didn't like being kept in a box and that's I believe why he's so successful. So yeah, the stuff that I tried and got to make while I was at Cusina was amazing. Yeah. What sort of impact did it have on you and what was it like having um that connection with the guests that you know chefs rarely get? Yeah, I mean 
it was different. It was different because, um, like you say, we chefs are kept out in the engine room. You know, ninety nine percent of the time, open kitchen is a relatively new kind of concept, um, and been able to speak to people. And I, I ended up being a bit of a people didn't know what I was. You know, because I'm this olive skinned person from the other side of the world, but I'm not. I'm not Latin American. I'm not. You know. So and then this this New Zealand slash Australian accent would come out of my mouth. They're like, "What the heck? What are you know? What's going on?" But it was always a always a good laugh and a good talking point. You know. And then they just the same way as Australians give Kiwis crap about their accent. It's the same thing with Americans with me. So yeah, we always found a a common ground and something to laugh about. You know. And yeah, the pressure as well of being on show you know because Alex again wasn't shy if something was taking too long <laughs> so yeah so you wanted, you wanted to always be on points and you know making sure everything was good because he had no qualms of sending it back to you and going what the hell is this shit do it again you know so it was good it was good for it was definitely leave your ego at the door situation and I've held that um, definitely held that forever and I will forever because you know, it doesn't matter what you think you've done or who you've worked for or where you've been before. There's always new challenges and you can always learn off everyone, whether it be something positive or negative. You know, there's always something to learn. So I think that's important. What brought you back to Sydney? Um, family, partner, of course. And, you know, I was I was there for the experience, not to live there forever. That wasn't the intent. Um, I mean, I there was opportunity for me to get sponsored to stay there um but at the same time I had a family to think about and yeah I don't think we could have survived comfortably with I had a partner that was unable to work because of visa restrictions so yeah I wasn't getting I wasn't a celebrity chef gonna get paid you know loads and loads of cash so that's that's Alex's job so yeah how did the gig at the butler come about uh, yeah, after I left um, left New York, came back here, had a massive break because it was, you know, it was a lot of work over there, just 12 hour days all the time. And, you know, it was amazing. But at the same time, I did need a break when I came home. So, yeah, I spent a good time traveling up the coast, um, the east coast of Australia, and then went back to New Zealand for a month and then came back to Sydney to kind of, you know, decide what the next move was. And I didn't really. No, I just knew that I wanted to work with um, – I wanted to have the opportunity to share what I'd learned in the States and share all these amazing ingredients that I discovered, you know, um, primarily Mexican ingredients with the, all the different chilies and all the different applications you can use them for and you treat them differently. You know, you can roast one, you can smoke the same thing and they taste completely different. Like it was just a lot and I just was really excited to share it. So I wanted to find people where that I could that I could connect with and work with well, like management and owners, you know, I want to people I get along with and people that I share the same ethos with in, in regards to culture and how you treat staff. So I'm um, as I've been out of the game for a little while and I'd only work with small business owners, I decided to go to um, a recruitment agency. And the first only interview I had was at um, the Butler Potts Point 
yeah, so that was my first job interview and <laughs> and my last for the past six years almost, so yeah. You mentioned that it's sort of been slowly, slowly with introducing these flavours and um, different style dishes to um, palates in Sydney. What's the progression been like and the response? Can you be more brave now that people are getting used to sort of what you're doing? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. I think so as well. And um, with the... Like, well, I had my interview with um, Hamish Watts um, and Chris Rolls, who is the, the general manager of the Butler and now operations manager of Applejack, and Casper Christensen, who was the executive chef of Applejack at the time. So that, that was my first interview with these three men, and I just got along with them really well. I didn't really know what the Butler was at the time. I knew it was beautiful. I knew it had a beautiful view, um, it, but it was more the people that – kind of drew me to stay and to give it a go so yeah it was and getting I'm gaining the trust of um, management and um, the owners was you know a big deal and I'm really happy and proud that I do have it now and they've given me a bit of you know a good a good amount of rope to to try and um um, share what I love and what tastes great or what I think tastes great and you know with our with our guests and it seems to be going down pretty well we're yeah still still thriving after this time so yeah it's, it's amazing I'm very lucky what's the last couple of years been like for you it's been challenging for everyone on the planet and for those in hospitality but what has, has this sort of period of time changed your approach to what you do um, in, in some ways, most definitely. Um, I think simplifying, um, like simplifying what we do is important because like the amount of supplies that have moved on um, that, you know, had to pivot and go to export or, or change industries altogether. Like we, we, it was tough for that period of time when we reopened to find the things that I was used to, that we took for granted, you know, four months prior, like there's some simple, simple things, but yeah, it's very, it's a bit complicated. So I, I found it important to just simplify what you do and, um, you know, maybe reduce the menu where you can a little bit and yeah, just to make it a little bit easier, especially with um, staffing being, being a kind of a constant battle. I, I'm pretty lucky. I do have a lot of long-term chefs that have come back after lockdowns and things like that. Yeah, I'm super, super lucky in that regard, but I know it's a struggle for everyone. Um, so we need to kind of, you know, yeah, to pick up the slack a little bit and yeah, try and find new and, you know, new new ingredients and new suppliers and new places to source things and the way you deal with people now is I think more collaborative and more of a community-based thing I find that like those kind of relationships have helped us thrive post post um lockdown for the pandemic and things like that you've spent uh, the last six years in in this role sort of um delivering something quite unique in Australia what, what do you love about what you're doing um, I just, I mean, I love, I love a lot of things. Um, I love, um, my team and how receptive they are to what entrusting they are in me and what we do and what we serve because, you know, it's these kind of Latin like influences and Mexican influences that I've kind of, you know, tried to push it. Like a lot of people don't really know unless you're from there, you know, you, this is a new, a completely new thing 
like you know Italian food has been in Australia for as long as Italians have you know it's there's there's quite a bit of history there or or um, Vietnamese and Thai as well you know they've got a little bit of history but for the, for um, for the the Americas it's relatively new so they do look to me for guidance and to make sure they're doing the right thing um, and slowly the population of people from that side of the world is increasing here so it's helping with like you know there's cool little joints popping up everywhere in Sydney now it's amazing it's breath you know it's a breath of fresh air been able to find a good taco a lot easier than it's ever been you know <laughs> and been able to supply that as well and be able to you know just you know been able to share what we love with the public is yeah we're just grateful super grateful well amber it's amazing what you're doing there and it's an absolute honor to have you on deep in the weeds today to hear your story i know i've been chasing you for some time to get you on the show now um please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon yeah most definitely it's a pleasure pleasure to meet you this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.